The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 57. To the chief musician set to do not destroy a michtam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it they themselves have fallen. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Today we are in Joshua 14, it's verses 6 through 15, it's an interesting passage. Um, I said to somebody this morning before we started something, and I, I guess I'll share it with you. I know last week I said I really, really loved the content of last week's sermon. It was one of my favorite from the book of Joshua. I don't know how this sermon is going to come out. I typed it on Monday, it'll be coming out in, um, uh, that means about 10 weeks, um, it is Joshua 19, 1 through 6, I believe. It's the allotment to the tribe of Zebulun. I'm going to tell you, that is one of the most refreshing sermons I have ever typed. It was unbelievable. I'm thinking one thing through the whole thing, and I'm, I'm saying it's not that. It's not that. I went to bed so satisfied on Monday. I can tell you that. Get ready for uh, Joshua 19, 1 through 6, the borders of the tribe of Zebulun. It's just names. It's just a border. It is amazing. Anyway, very refreshing. Um, like I said, I really enjoyed last week's sermon, the content, but that one coming, get ready. Wow. Anyway, we're in uh, Joshua 14 right now. It's verses 6 through 15. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephuni, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance, and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold... The Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. 
ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arva. Arva was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. A big question for you to answer in your head is, when was Caleb saved? When I say saved, I mean in the sense of who he typologically pictures, the Gentiles. You've heard the sermon verses, and you can easily deduce that the answer is when he wholly followed the Lord. He believed. The other spies with him did not. The entire context of the passage was faith in the word of the Lord. That's all the way back in the book of Numbers. No commandment was ever given. Instead, he demonstrated faith. That is the conclusion made in Hebrews 3, verse 18, where the author uses the word obey synonymously with the word belief. When did that happen? As I said, it was back in Numbers. This is said several times in several ways in that passage. And yet, it is now many years later that he is actually being granted his inheritance, even though it was promised so long before. Are you getting a hint of yourself in this? Some of you were saved when you were young. Others a little later in life. Some may have been saved just a short while ago. But for each of us, there is the same thing to consider. We have been saved and promised an inheritance, and yet we are waiting for our inheritance to be realized. Think on this as we continue through the verses. Maybe before we get to the explanation of them, you'll be able to see the meaning of much of what is being presented. Our text verse comes from the book of Galatians. It's chapter 3, verse 18. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Going back to when Caleb was saved, there was a law at that time, but nobody had lived it out. Israel was under the law and headed to Canaan. But Caleb did something other than observe the law in order to be given the promise spoken of in our passage today. And for sure, it wasn't law observance. Numbers 13 and 14 make that absolutely clear. Abraham was promised the inheritance before the law came about. Caleb was promised the inheritance apart from the law, even if he was among Israel who was under the law. Those Jews being bit by serpents were saved apart from any law observance. What is the common theme about all of them? Faith. Caleb's deeds followed his faith. They were not the basis for it. Even during the time of the law, the precept of salvation by grace through faith was clearly and precisely detailed, and it wasn't demonstrated once or twice, but countless times. Pay heed to these things. Your walk with the Lord is to be one based on faith. So have faith in all you do, and you will be pleasing to God. 
This is a marvelous truth that is to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got just two thoughts for you today. The first is, and Joshua blessed him. It's verses 6 through 15. The introductory note in verse 14.1 indicated that what follows would be the division of the land in Canaan proper. This would be for the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. The verses remembered that Moses had given two tribes and the half-tribe an inheritance east of the Jordan. From there, it specifically noted that no land grant was given to Levi, except cities to dwell in with their common lands. With those points explicitly detailed, the contents of verse 14.1 concerning the division of the land of Canaan is now to be dealt with. And yet, Within that division, there is a matter to be resolved based upon a promise made back in Numbers 14. The fulfillment of that promise is now realized. Verse 6, Then the children of Israel came to Joshua in Gilgal. Vayigshu bene Yehuda el Yehoshua ba Gilgal, and approached sons Judah unto Joshua in the Gilgal. The matter to be resolved involves the tribe of Judah. To help you understand what is being conveyed, translating the meaning of the names, it would literally state, and approached sons praise unto the Lord is salvation in the liberty. With that, the words continue saying, verse six continues, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite said to him, more precisely, it reads, and said to him, Caleb, son Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. The reason for these words is twofold. The first is because the promise was made to Caleb. As such, that promise must be dealt with at some point. The second is that Caleb is the leader of Judah designated to administer the land division for Judah. That's from Numbers 34. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, These are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as an inheritance, Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. And you shall take one leader of every tribe to divide the land for the inheritance. These are the names of the men from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Hence, the sons of Judah approaching Joshua is intended to resolve both matters. But the primary one is the fulfillment of the promise to Caleb. In fact, this process will take all the remaining verses in chapter 14 and then all of chapter 15 to complete. Of the names mentioned here, Caleb means dog. Jephunneh means he will be beheld. He's also identified as a Kenizzite, a descendant of Canaan, or a son of Canaz, which is an Edomite name. Later in Joshua, his brother Othniel is identified as a son of Canaz. Thus, he is of foreign birth, but brought into the people of Israel and the tribe of Judah. The reference to him being a Kenizzite is to show his Gentile heritage. Of this name, Kenizzite, Abarim provides an interesting analysis that is worth citing. They say... The name Kenizzite means hunter or trapper, but is a name like fisherman or troglodyte or tanner or metallurgist or technician, which was the profession of Jesus and Joseph, the word tecton. It doesn't describe physical descent, but an occupational niche that would ultimately be absorbed into the worldwide market of human trade. Since the Bible is only interested in the evolution of the wisdom tradition rather than politics or biological descent, the nature of Kenizzite should be understood to relate to wisdom. 
Just like Jesus taught his disciples to be fishers of men, so should the Kenizzite be understood to be a hunter of men. And just like the legendary Nimrod was a mighty hunter before Jehovah, so were the Kenizzites known for their contribution to the greater world of human interaction and exchange that would ultimately form the crib within which the word of God could assume human form. Verse 6 continues, you know the word which the Lord said. Rather than said, it uses the word spoke. There is also an emphasis in his words. Ata yadata et hadavar asher deber Yehovah. You know the word which spoke Yehovah. This spoken word was, verse 6 continues, to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. El Moshe ish ha Elohim al odotai ve'al odetecha be Kadesh Barnea. Unto Moses, man, the God, upon my sake and upon your sake in Kadesh Barnea. The specific reference comes from Numbers 14. The 12 spies had returned searching out Canaan. Upon their return, 10 of them spread a bad report about the land. But Caleb and Joshua repudiated their report. Here's what it says. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. In response to this, the Lord spoke to Moses concerning them. Numbers 14, 20 through 24. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. I'm going to stop right there and remind you that is a picture of when the Jews rejected Jesus Christ when he came. Everything since that time has pictured Israel under the punishment of the law for the past 2,000 years. And then we came to the crossing of the Jordan in chapters 3 and 4, which was anticipating Israel's final national entry into Jesus Christ, crossing over the Jordan, going through the descender, Jesus, and becoming a saved people for the Lord, for the millennial reign of Christ. Verse 24, but my servant Caleb, remember he's a Gentile and he believed because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. With this in mind, Caleb next says, verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. The Hebrew form of speaking is more poetic. Son, 40 years, I, in sending Moses, servant Jehovah, me, from Kadesh Barnea to foot the land. This is an important point in determining the biblical timeline when it is united with his words of verse 10. Caleb gives his age and the details of what occurred at that time. In considering what is presented here, remember that Numbers 14 is when Israel failed to enter the promise by faith. It was a typological picture of Israel's failure to receive Jesus as their Messiah. Despite that, Caleb, 
a Gentile by descent, did. The typology of that is obvious. Kadesh Barnea means holy purifying wanderings. It is at this location that Caleb proved himself a man of faith. Verse 7 continues, And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. And returned to him word according to which with to my heart. Despite being beautifully said in the Hebrew, the words look to a theological truth that will be explained later, but which you may have already discerned. Caleb searched out the land saw that it was good, and returned with a word according to the state of his heart. On the contrary, verse 8, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. And my brothers who went up with me dissolved heart the people. It is a new word, masa, signifying to melt or liquefy or to dissolve the idea, then, is that the collective heart of the people vanished. In complete contrast to that, Caleb says, verse 8, But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And I, I filled after Jehovah my God. The meaning is to be taken as if Jehovah was walking on a path, and Caleb literally stepped into his footprints, filling them as he went. It is a note of absolute devotion to the Lord's ways in a walk of faith. While Israel's heart dissolved, Caleb filled after Jehovah, and his heart was set with a proper and pleasing response when he returned with the other spies. The contrast is remarkable. Because of this, verse 9, so Moses swore on that day, saying, there's no direct mention of Moses swearing in this manner back in that record, only the Lord, and more there's no mention of a specific piece of land being promised to Caleb. But this doesn't mean neither happened. The Lord's words to Moses were, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. That's Numbers 14.24. From there, Moses referred to this in Deuteronomy 1. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry, and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord promised that Caleb would enter and inherit. Moses repeated that. It is unnecessary for the word to record what Caleb now claims. Caleb has stated it to Joshua, and if it were not true... Joshua would have known. A similar example of this is Solomon's right to the throne. In 1 Kings 1.17, Bathsheba stated that David had sworn to her that Solomon would reign as king after him. And yet that's not recorded elsewhere. Obviously, she would not have made the claim if it wasn't true. She was speaking to the person who made the statement. This is the same situation now being conveyed by Caleb and Joshua. Hence, Caleb continues, verse 9 going on, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. More precisely, it reads, If not, the land which has trodden your foot in her to you shall be to inheritance and to your sons until everlasting. Caleb's feet filled after the Lord. And so Moses promised that where his feet had trodden, 
that would be his everlasting inheritance. And this is, verse 9 continues, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. For you filled after Jehovah my God. Moses confirmed that Caleb had rightly pursued the Lord. Hence, Caleb was able to claim that he had done so as well. He simply repeated to Joshua what Moses had already stated. The words he speaks here were specifically stated by Moses in Deuteronomy 1 that we just cited a moment ago. With that affirmed, Caleb then completes giving the timeline of events for us to logically know what year this is in redemptive history. Verse 10, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. Rather than said, the word is again spoke. Other than that, it is close enough. The Lord spoke, and it was as good as done. And now it has come to pass. Caleb carried this word with him. Verse 10 continues, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. The words are precise. Me'az, deber Yehovah et hadavar hazeh el Moshe asher halak Yisrael ba midbar. From that time spoke Yehovah the word, the this, unto Moses, which walked Israel in the wilderness. Rather than while Israel wandered, it is from the beginning of the time that Israel wandered. While all of Israel was faithless, Caleb demonstrated faith. As a result, he was promised the inheritance at that time. Verse 10 continues, and now, here I am this day, 85 years old. The Hebrew has more excitement coming from Caleb. And now, behold, I, the day, son of five and 80 years. The words of Caleb provide the necessary information to understand the continued biblical timeline. As explained in Joshua chapter 11, the people left Mount Sinai on the 20th day of the second month of the second year after the Exodus. Moses then says in Deuteronomy chapter 2, and the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of the Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp just as the Lord had sworn to them. Entry into Canaan happened at the beginning of the 41st year since leaving Egypt. In Numbers 13, the spies went to look over Canaan. From there, we come to the words of this verse and deduce that he was 40 years old in the second year after leaving Egypt. Being 85 at the end of the campaign, it means he was 39 when departing Egypt and 79 when entering Canaan. Thus, the campaign to subdue Canaan went somewhere between six and seven years. With that revealed, Caleb continues, verse 11, As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. The translation gets the point across sufficiently. In verse 13.1, it said that Joshua was old, advanced in years. That implies that he had not simply aged in years, but that he was aged from the years. On the contrary, though, Caleb's physical strength had essentially gone unchanged for the whole span of time. Now that it's time to draw out the inheritances, Caleb wanted what was promised to him to be identified first. But his choice of land would not be an inheritance ready to be inhabited. Rather, it would require a man of war to subdue it. This is the reason why he mentions his abilities as he does. That is then made explicitly known with his next words. Verse 12, now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. The mountain means the mountainous country around Hebron. 
These words now give definitive evidence that even though nothing was recorded of this specific promise, it was made nonetheless. Caleb is reminding Joshua of what was spoken by the Lord at that time. In Numbers 13.22, the Hebrew went from the third person plural to the third person singular, saying, and they went up through the Negev, and he came to Hebron. This indicates that Caleb is the one who reconnoitered this area, and he really loved what he saw. The narrative specifically noted this so that we would remember that this is the land Caleb had walked through. The spies all went up through the Negev. Caleb branched off and went to Hebron, while the others searched out other towns. In this manner, they were able to cover much more land by dividing among cities within geographical areas. As a part of his report, he recalls the next words, verse 12 going on, For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. As can be seen, there's more than one city in the mountain that is being referred to. Thus, Hebron is the main city, but it is a general area that Caleb is referring to. And more, in chapter 10, we saw Joshua took Hebron. Once Hebron was either reoccupied, and there was at least one other city also reoccupied in the area, or the accounts are not chronological. Either way, this is seen in chapter 15. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kiriath Arva, which is Hebron. Arva was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly, the name of Debir was Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kiriath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give Achsa, my daughter, as wife. As a note concerning multiple cities in this area is seen at the time of David as well. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel 2. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinom, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. The Anakim dwelt there, and they continued to dwell, and they are still there. But Caleb had faith that they, along with the other inhabitants, would be cleared out. Verse 12 continues, It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Rather than as the Lord said, it reads, as the Lord spoke. As before, the Lord spoke, and it was as if it was already accomplished. Hence, Caleb's words do not indicate any doubt in his mind. Rather, he's making a pious but confident statement that it would come to pass. Today, we might say, no doubt about it. If the Lord is with me, I will get it done. With his continued vigor and the Lord's presence with him, the Anakim will be dispossessed. Verse 13, and Joshua blessed him. This could mean either a verbal blessing followed by the gift, or the words could simply anticipate the next clause, the gift being the blessing. Probably both are combined in thought, a blessing of words accompanied by the blessing of the grant. Therefore, Joshua blessed him, verse 13 going on, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. This is the third note that a verbal promise was made to Caleb concerning the granting of a specific area. Caleb never explicitly mentioned Hebron, only the mountain. 
but Joshua perfectly understood the meaning and granted it to Caleb as an inheritance. Caleb had longed for the area for 45 years, and it is now his own possession. As for the name Hebron, it means alliance. It is the general name given to a city as well as an entire area of cities allied together. Verse 14, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day. With these words, the area belonged to Caleb. Despite this, it is included in the overall land grant of Judah, as is seen in Joshua 15. Also, the main city of Hebron will be designated as a Levitical city in Joshua 21, verse 11. Despite these things, the general mountainous area that falls under the designation Hebron became Caleb's possession. Verse 14 going on. Because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Ya'an asher mile achare Yehovah Elohe Yisrael. Because which he filled after Yehovah God Israel. This same sentiment has now been repeated numerous times. The Lord said it in Numbers 14, 24. Moses repeated it in Deuteronomy 1, verse 36. Caleb said it in verse 8 of this chapter and cited Moses saying it in verse 9. Now, the author of the book restates it again. It is an absolute testimony to the character of the man and his willingness to be wholly faithful to the Lord. With that, it next says, verse 15, and the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arva. The first mention of Hebron is in Genesis 13, verse 18. After that, it is called Kiriath Arva in Genesis 23, verse 2. But it qualifies that saying it is Hebron. The name Kiriath Arva is repeated in Genesis 35, 27, where it was again qualified as Hebron. Because of this, it was probably always known as Hebron, but it was eventually conquered by Arva and was renamed after him, but it still retained its original name in the memory of the people. The name Hebron is mostly used from this point on, but the last time the area is mentioned in the chronological time is at the time of Nehemiah where it is again called Kiriath Arva. That is supposing it is referring to the same city. The name Kiriath Arva means city of four. That is then explained with the words of verse 15 continues, Arva was the greatest man among the Anakim. The clause is more succinct. Ha'adam ha'gadol ba'anakim hu. The man, the great, in the Anakim, he. In other words, it appears Arba is the name of a man for whom the city is named. As odd as the name for might sound, it is not unique in scripture. In Numbers 31 verse 8, there is a person named Reva, meaning fourth. And in Romans 16 verse 3, Quartus is mentioned. His name is Latin, meaning fourth. The reason for giving such a name is as simple as being the fourth one born in a family or as a servant in a house. For this or some other reason, Arba, or Four, was considered the greatest man among the Anakim. With that noted, the chapter ends with verse 15 finishing, then the land had rest from war. This is a letter for letter repeat of Joshua 11 verse 23. The word translated as rest signifies to be quiet or undisturbed. It comes from a primitive root signifying to repose. Hence, one can think of idleness or being undisturbed. Rather than Israel, it is the land itself that is spoken of in this manner. With the enemy subdued, there is a sense of calm and idleness left for the people to enjoy. 
Why this is stated here is not readily seen, but it is included just prior to the land divisions of the tribes, signifying that the major battles were complete. And so, even though Caleb is the main focus of this narrative, and he is the one who will be the interested figure in subduing Hebron, it is actually a campaign that was under the authority of Joshua. That seems perfectly evident when the two accounts are placed side by side. I'll read them both to you. From Joshua 11. And at that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anav, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel. According to their divisions by their tribes, then the land rested from war. And then from Joshua 14, Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arva. Arva was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. In this, we see that the accounts are not at all chronological, but categorical. Joshua completed the battles, but before that occurred, Caleb came to make his claim upon the land. Hence, when the land was to be divided, it would already be understood that Caleb had claim to Hebron. Have faith in your walk, and you will do well. It will bring you life and joy in the presence of the Lord. It is the necessary thing to keep you from hell. This is what is shown to us in the word. But misdirected faith is wasted faith. It is true. So have your faith directed as God has revealed. Look unto Jesus. This is what you are to do. And when you do, you too will be sealed. God asks us to believe the gospel. Nothing else will do. Believe what Jesus has done and in his presence you will dwell. In your believing, God who is faithful and true will save your soul. So his word does tell. Our second thought today is an explanation of the typology. The account here as I said just a minute ago, is obviously not chronological. It fills in details of something that has already been shown as complete from chapter 11. There it said that the land had rest from war, and that sediment is repeated again here. As such, it is like Genesis 2, which fills in details not stated in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, the creation account is completed in six days. In Genesis 2, it goes back to fill in the details about the creation of man on the sixth day. This is what is happening here. It is a common biblical style of writing. It is important for a couple of reasons. The first is that Caleb was given the promise by the Lord many years earlier, and in order to not interfere with the inheritances of the tribes, his land is determined first. Also, it needs to be dealt with before the division of the land because the Levites are given cities within Israel to minister to the people. That occurs after the divisions of the land. Thus, it is appropriate to have Caleb's land determined first, then the tribal divisions, and then the Levitical cities. When looked at this way, what is detailed here makes all of the sense in the world. Also, 
Nothing is said when the land divisions in chapter 15 will be decided. As this is so, it could be that they were determined earlier. If so, then Caleb's claim would be a part of Judah's land, and thus they would be interested parties in the division. Even if not, Caleb is the main figure in this process of division, and so it is right that Judah should accompany him when he approached Joshua. But there is also typology being conveyed here. The account of the Gibeonites in Joshua 9 showed us how Gentiles are brought fully and completely into the new covenant. But this account shows us that Gentiles are also included in the inheritance of the covenant. That may seem obvious, but it could be argued that they had no inheritance by someone with an agenda. Caleb, meaning dog, anticipates Gentiles. Along with his name, his repeated designation as a Kenizzite reveals this as well. This would explain verse 6 that said that the sons of Judah approached Joshua in Gilgal, meaning the liberty. Think of Jews coming to Jesus, curious if Gentiles are included in the inheritance. This account resolves that. His name, Dog, son of he will be beheld, gives us a nice picture of a Gentile beholding the Lord. The inheritance is not something reserved to Jews alone. As for the name Kenizzite or Hunter, as Aberin noted, it is a name based on a profession, similar to many of our own names. Hence, the name symbolizes someone who seeks a form of wisdom, as would a person in any such profession. A number of verses from the New Testament could be used to explain this thought, such as 1 Corinthians 1. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. With this remembered, Caleb spoke emphatically that Joshua knew the word of the Lord spoken to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. That was his words. Think of the words of the law. You therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Joshua stands as Jesus here, testifying to the state of Caleb. He knows that Caleb fulfilled the law through faith as was so carefully detailed in Numbers 13 and 14. Moses, the law, testified to this in Kadesh Barnea, or holy purifying wanderings, where Israel had failed and would remain under the law, even to this day in human history, Caleb had trusted, and that was credited to him for righteousness. Verse 7 noted that Caleb was 40 when he was sent from Kadesh Barnea. According to Bollinger, 40 signifies a period of probation, trial, and chastisement. Not judgment like the number nine, which stands in connection with the punishment of enemies, but the chastisement of sons and of a covenant people. It is the product of five and eight and points to the action of grace, the number five, leading to and ending in revival and renewal, the number eight. The Gentiles went through such a period and at the end of it received grace, leading to and ending in revival and renewal. Think of Gentile salvation. This is seen in the words of Caleb. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. It is exactly what occurs when a person is saved. Romans 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
It would be hard to find a better statement by Caleb to match the events that occurred as they were recorded in Numbers chapter 14, which matches what Paul says. He believed in his heart, he confessed, and he was saved. Verse 8 spoke of the peoples, meaning Israel's national rejection of the Lord, even when the Gentiles believed. As he said, and I, I filled after Jehovah my God. The Gentiles believe Jesus is the incarnate Lord, even when national Israel did not. They walked after him in faith. Caleb's words are reflective of Paul's words, Romans 4. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. It must be recalled that every person that approached Joshua with Caleb was saved only later, typologically seen in their having crossed the Jordan. All those in the wilderness, 20 years old and above, had died. National Israel salvation comes after Gentile salvation. Verse 9 revealed Moses' concurrence with Caleb's right to the inheritance as spoken by the Lord. The law testifies to Gentile salvation because it reveals Christ's vicarious sacrifice, fulfillment of the law, and the imputation of his righteousness to those who believe. In this case, to fill after Jehovah is to follow him, as Paul states, Romans 6. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 10 noted that Caleb had been kept alive 45 years more. It is the product of nine and five. Nine is significant of the conclusion of a matter. Five is the number of grace, Bollinger. It would be hard to think up anything more appropriate to the settling of an inheritance than those two thoughts. The Gentiles were given the promise and the Lord will sustain them in salvation until the conclusion of the matter. Think of eternal salvation there. The inheritance is guaranteed because the Lord has spoken. With that, Caleb added the two numbers, 40 and 45, together and essentially boasted that he was now 85. What a cool number, because it is the product of five, grace, and 17, a number Bullinger was excited about. It is the seventh of the prime numbers. Hence, Bullinger says, it partakes of and intensifies the significance of the number seven. Indeed, it is the combination or sum of two perfect numbers, seven and ten. Seven being the number of spiritual perfection and ten of ordinal perfection. Contrasted together, the significance of these two numbers is clear. And when united in the number 17, we have a union of their respective meanings, namely spiritual perfection plus ordinal perfection or the perfection of spiritual order. As such... It speaks of eternal salvation. One of several examples he gives is that of Romans chapter 8. It, this is his words, concludes the first great division of that all-important epistle and sums up the blessings of those who are dead and risen in Christ. First, we have a series of seven, then a series of ten. 
The seven are marked off by being put in the form of a question, while the ten are given as the answer to it. Who would have thought of this? Bollinger was a genius. He asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall one, tribulation, two, distress, three, persecution, four, famine, five, nakedness, six, peril, seven, sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that, and he goes on with the next ten, neither death, one, nor life, two, nor angels, three, nor principalities, four, nor things present, five, nor things to come, six, nor power, seven, nor height, eight, nor depth, nine, nor any other creature. Ten shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thus is set forth the spiritual and eternal perfection of the believers standing in Christ. That's E.W. Bollinger. This is just what is being conveyed by Caleb in typology. Caleb's spiritual strength in Christ and for his inheritance was not diminished. It is at this point that he anticipates his inheritance and asks for it, noting the Anakim in the process. To get the full meaning of the name Anakim, one would have to go back and review the numbers sermons. In short, the word from which Anakim is derived means neck or necklace, but that comes from the word Anak, which means to be fitted out with supplies and thus furnished liberally, just as a necklace is generally made up of many pieces. Hence, Obtaining the inheritance of Anak signifies the believer is one who is furnished liberally by God for every necessary work to which he is appointed. Seeing this, verse 13 said, And gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. In type, it is giving an alliance to the Gentile, the son of he will behold. In other words, the Gentile inheritance is no less than that of the Jew. With that, the author of the narrative, the Lord is the ultimate author, proclaimed one last time that Caleb filled after Jehovah, God of Israel. Caleb was a man of faith, and he was granted the inheritance. Verse 15 noted the previous name of Hebron, Kiriath Arba, city of four. Four is emphatically, again going to Bollinger, the number of creation of man in his relation to the world as created. It is the number of things that have a beginning, of things that are made, of material things, and matter itself. It is the number of material completeness. Hence, it is the world number, and especially the city number, according to Bollinger. In this case, four is then noted as the man, the great, in the Anakim. Wycliffe bizarrely translated these words, Adam, most great, there in the land of Enachim, was set. But maybe his odd thoughts give us a clue as to the meaning of the otherwise difficult to pin down words. In type, I will speculate that this is referring to the second Adam, the second man of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47. If so, typologically, it means that the inheritance of the Gentiles is that of the greatest man, the one furnished most liberally of all by God for every necessary work to which he was appointed. This would then match the words of Paul, Ephesians 1, in him 
also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Paul, writing to Gentiles, notes we who first trusted. This would include the believing Jews as well as believing Gentiles, even before national Israel believes, which is exactly the pattern seen in these verses from Joshua. The promise was made to Caleb in Numbers. The land is still not subdued in Joshua, and yet Caleb is granted the inheritance of the new creation before national Israel because of the work of Christ. With that, it noted that the land had rest from war. This is the same set of words from Joshua 11, and they show that Caleb's inheritance came prior to that time, and thus prior to national Israel's. In the story of the five kings that came against Gibeon, there had to be a resolution as to how the Gentiles were brought into the covenant that was given to Israel and Judah, which is stated first in Jeremiah 31:31. Likewise, there had to be clarification that Christ fulfilled all of the law, not just a portion of it, that was dealt with in the slaying of the five kings. This account is not unlike that. Despite Gentiles being brought into the commonwealth of Israel, there needed to be a presentation of what that meant concerning the inheritance. It is explained by Paul in the New Testament, but it is typologically seen way back here in the book of Joshua. Every T is dotted and every I is crossed. Wait, reverse that. And so we don't have to later argue about what Paul is telling us. Understanding the typology in the book of Joshua puts to rest many points of bad doctrine and even heresy. This is the beauty of traveling through these passages together. For now, we will close with the thought that God has everything laid out. It was told us in advance, and then it is explained elsewhere. It is absolutely certain that this came from God and not from the minds of Jewish writers. They never would have penned such things as we continuously see in the book of Joshua. It is a real boost to our surety and the reliability of the Word of God to see these types as this is so, be sure to trust what is explicitly stated concerning Jesus. He is the one and the only path to restoration with God. Be wise, be discerning, and be sure to call on him today. The Bible makes it absolutely clear all the way through the Old Testament types that the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, entered into the womb of Mary and became incarnate. He is the Lord God. If you can't believe that one precept, you cannot be saved because this is the whole point of the Bible. Salvation, it says in the book of Jonah, is of the Lord. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with anything you ever will do. It is something that was done by the Lord as a gift to the people of the world. The Lord incarnate came and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Bible details in the Gospels his life, showing that not only was he born without sin, having come in the womb of a woman without inheriting Adam's sin, being God incarnate, but he also lived perfectly without sin. That's what the Gospels record, the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ. And then he gave up his life in exchange for your sin and my sin. He did this because he loves the people of the world. And he asks us to do one thing first and foremost, before anything else is to believe, to simply believe that I have done it. I've taken care of the problem that infinitely separates us from one another. 
I have done it. Believe. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. That is what he asked you to do. And then after that, you have things you need to do. If you have sin in your life, you need to repent, turn from your sin. You don't put it before the horse or the horse before the cart before the horse. You don't do that. You trust in Jesus as Caleb did. And then after that, you turn from the sins as you learn what offends a holy God. Don't ever put the cart in front of the horse. Be sure that you get your salvation down right. And then after that, you do have things that you are to do all the rest of your life. You've got to just keep striving to please the Lord because something is happening after you die or when the rapture happens, either one. Something is going to happen. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ where your sin after salvation will be judged. You won't be condemned for it because we are not being imputed sin according to 2 Corinthians 5.19. But we are offending the holy God who saved us. And so please live a holy life in Christ. Do that. Honoring him for what he has done for you. The gift of God found in the giving of his son. Please do it today. Our closing verse comes from Colossians 1. It is verses 9 through 12. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now think of it. These are saved believers, and now he's telling them you need to learn these things, that you be filled with the wisdom of these things. Once again, third time I've said it, don't put the cart in front of the horse. Let the horse pull the cart. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. What a great promise. And right here in Caleb, all of these heretical doctrines are dealt with. Again and again, we see these things. God is giving us minute instructions in the Old Testament so we don't make the error of saying, yes, you can lose your salvation, or no, Jesus wasn't the Lord God incarnate, or any of these other things. Have your doctrines settled in Jesus Christ. Love the grace of God in Christ, and then walk worthy of that salvation. Next week is Joshua 15. It's verses 1 through 12. Knowing the symbolism will put you in a great muda. It's entitled, The Borders of the Land of Judah. That'll be our 31st Joshua sermon. Try to find a word that matches, okay? The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, before I ask you the question, because I do have a question, I'll say two things. The first one is, please raise your hand because a lot of people are going to get this. I made it easy today. Secondly, I did not tell you because we were so distracted with the computer problems, with other things that were going on, then Ray had to get right up here and get started. Dr. Bridges is in the hospital. If you don't know this, he is in there with double pneumonia. Okay, he came, he was up north at Mabel's brother's funeral and he didn't have the right clothes and he got cold and then he came back down here and he was sweating for four days. He was very weak. He lost a lot of salt and so he's laying there and they won't let him out until his salt is up. I do not know if he is out today or not. I went there yesterday, I went there Friday and he looked fine to me. But yesterday I went and he was sleeping. He was actually snoring. 
So I didn't want to wake somebody that's in that deep of a sleep because they need it. And so I wrote him a note and left it on him. And let's keep the doctor in prayer, please. Okay. Um, here's my question. Please raise your hand. Who did Jesus call an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit? She said it first. What was that? I'm looking for the name. Nathaniel. Her hand went right up. It was Nathaniel. Very good. I've got something here for you. Second week in a row. Unbelievable. We got a visitor that's blowing us all away. Now, come on. This is... Okay, here we go. We'll read a poem and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. He wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea, when times were a bit grim? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him, as was in my heart, but things didn't go as I planned. Nevertheless, my brethren, who went up with me, their thinking was flawed, made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trod shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, yes, just as he told Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, any battle I could win. So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and the, that the cities were great and fortified. That means next to nothing. I couldn't care. It may be that the Lord will be with me. Those dudes are already dead, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him. Maybe he did a happy dance and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. This is how he was. Yes, just that way. And formerly, Kiriath Arva was Hebron's name. Arva was the greatest man among the Anakim, so was his fame. Then the land had rest from war. That's the end of the chapter, and there ain't no more. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of grace, which is in the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the eternal salvation that you have granted to us because of what he has done. We don't merit it. We don't merit it even after getting it. And yet you continue to save us because you have done so through the covenant of his shed blood. Thank you that you are faithful to it when we are unfaithful. Thank you for even being faithful to Israel in their unfaithfulness so that someday they will be brought into the covenant promised to them so long ago. 
thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness. Forgive us of our unfaithfulness. May you be glorified in our lives, in our hearts, and on our lips all the days of our lives. May it be so to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.